And we'll be there Sunday morning too. We just kind of hit around a little bit tonight. And uh, this may be a little hot, Josh. I don't know that they want to hear that much. Maybe a little bit. There you go. Joshua chapter 8. And uh, really just the first two verses. And then you can just read the rest of it on your own. Thinking about the valley of decision. It's decision time. And uh, boy, how we need to understand this. The Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee. Arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall you take for prey unto yourselves. Lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. Now, the first thing I think about when I read chapter 8 is this. If only Achan would have been patient. If only Achan could have just waited. You know, instead of him dying and his family dying and his cattle dying and everything he had was burned and then heaped stones upon it, if only he would have waited and did it God's way. God would have given him everything he wanted. The gold, the silver, the garments, all of that. Now when you get to Ai, because remember, Jericho was the first fruits. That was God's. That belonged to God. And he said, anything there of value, bring it to the treasury. That's mine. Achan, of course, went out, got it, buried it under his tent, and thought he was going to fool God. But now, the same God that gave victory at Jericho is going to give victory here at Ai. The children are possessing the land, and they're possessing their possessions. And they'd marched around the walls of Jericho, and they gave a shout. The walls came down. And then they sinned. They disobeyed the Lord. When they went up against Ai, they weren't able to take that. 36 of them got killed. They were shamed. They fled before the people of Ai. They repented of their sin. They dealt with their sin. They judged their sin. And now God says, since you have judged your sin, I'm with you again. And I'm going to give you Ai. But I want you to notice he does it in a different way. Uh, They marched around the walls of Jericho, gave a shout. The walls came down. But this time, he says, uh, you're going to go up to Ai with a strategy. In fact, it's a unique strategy. Uh, uh, As you go on and read this chapter, uh, Joshua took about 30,000 men. He put them up in the mountains. I always get my directions mixed up. This is north. He put them up north of the city, uh, one group of them. And then there was another group south and another group out west. And what he did is he went to the city and then engaged them in the battle and then turned and run the other way. Well, all the soldiers from Ai fled after the Israelites just like they had done before. But the guys over in the north of the city came down out of the mountains, set everything on fire, killed the people, and then they turned around their cities on fire. Here's an Israelite army in front of them here, and they had them all crammed up. And literally every one of them are killed. Now, uh, they study, the, the Israel still today will study the campaigns of Joshua. Even some of our military does that. Uh, and I don't have time to talk about all that tonight. Because the, the lesson that I want us to understand tonight is the methods of God change. God doesn't change. 
God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. The Word of God doesn't change. The Word of God settled in heaven long ago, and it's never changed. None whatsoever. But the methods change. The important thing, and this is where we're missing it in many places, it's not important what method we use. What is important is to remember that it's God who controls the methods. It's all God. Remember one of the, the things that we've got to be careful about when we win, and we're winning as victory, uh, we've got to be careful that we don't begin to think, boy, look what we did. Man, we, we, we washed around that city, and we tore that city up, and we flattened that thing out. We didn't do nothing. All we did was march around. God did everything. It wasn't us. It was God. But if we're not careful, we'll start talking about how, what we did. This is what I did for the Lord. Well, I'm going to tell you, the Lord's not interested in what you can do. He, he's interested in you giving your life up and him working through you. That's what he's interested in. And then if we're not careful, remember the second thing about winning is not only do we begin to think, what all I've done, but even if we admit God did it, then somehow in our little old prideful world and way, uh, we begin to think God did all that just for me. He did that just for me. Isn't God good? God blessed me. No, God did it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't do it for you. He didn't do it for me. Now I know some of you are going to say, that's not right, preacher. He'd have died for me if I was the only one on the, uh, that sinned. I don't know if he would or not. But I want to tell you why he died. It was God's perfect plan. God is the one that instigated that before the foundation of the world. It didn't have anything to do with you. It had to do with this was God's plan for salvation. One of the toughest things we have to remember here when you come to Joshua chapter 8 is that God is not only a God of love. We hear that all the time. But God is also a God of punishment. And see, we don't want to associate those two together. But God is love. Yes, he's love. It's his will, none perish, but all come to life. Sure, God's love. But at the same time, God is just and God is going to punish sin. Listen, if you, who do you think you are? If you think that God would punish his own son for sins that he did not commit, and then you're going to come up in his face and say, I know I did this wrong, I know it was sin, but, but God's going to overlook it. He's not going to overlook your sin. He's proved it time and time again. We're still thinking he will, but I'm telling you, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. God is doing it here. Uh, and, and I will tell you, that the last seven words of the church, thank goodness, we don't hear them very much around here, but we do hear them some. We hear them some. We never done it like this before. I love those words. That's good. That's good. I, mm, I, I better quit. I'm going to get in trouble. I heard about those three blind men that, that Jesus healed, and they were in a testimony meeting after they got healed of their blindness. Jesus healed one blind man, taking spittle and put it in his eyes. Another, he opened, saw, healed another blind man, took some mud, anointed the blind man's eyes. And then he simply touched another man's eyes, and his eyes were open. Three blind men Jesus healed. Can you imagine them getting up here tonight in a testimony service? And one of them stands up, and he says, uh, well, I'll tell you how Jesus heals the blind. He spits in your eyes. That's the way he does it. The other man says, you're a heretic. He don't spit in your eyes. He uses mud. 
And the other one says, oh, no, all three of y'all are heretics. All two of y'all are heretics. What he does is he just touches your eyes. So what we have there is three new denominations, the Spittites, the Muttites, and the Touchites. <laughs> and that's just how religion works here, folks. I want to tell you, the important thing tonight is not how God does it, but it's that God does it. That's what's important. Now, look at the waywardness here, uh, because in Joshua 7, you got a wayward people. Now, I got, I got chastised for this, but my wife was in the office with me, and, and she made everything all right. But I'm not talking about any of y'all. I'm talking about people down the road. Y'all not wavered here. Y'all all love God, and I know you came in here prayed up, ready to serve the Lord, and you're, I'm not talking about you at all, but I'm telling you, there are some people that God, diso they disobeyed God, and you know what the Lord did? When they dealt with it, the Lord pardoned them. That's what God does with waywardness. I, I, it, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's, it's just a pastor just as a human being, I, I get embarrassed going before God saying, God, I, I hate to have to come to you again, but, you know, I said I wasn't going to do this anymore, but here I am. Here I am. I done messed up again. I'm so glad 1 John 1, 9 is in the Bible. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so thankful that, uh, listen, we may hold grudges, but God does not hold grudges. I'm so thankful for that. And there may be somebody here tonight that you fail the Lord and you think maybe God's finished with you. I want to tell you, God is no more finished with you tonight than he was with the children of Israel when they went up and sinned against Ai. If you'll come to him and confess your sin, he'll forgive you, he'll cleanse you. Thank God he's the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. And some of you, I'm looking back in here, it's up in the 50s and the 100s. God forgives waywardness. That's what God does. Uh, you know how you really fail? You quit. That's how you really fail. But until you quit, you've not failed. You may be in God's line. You know, people just quit. They always go around moaning, groaning, talking about what a fool I was. Well, you know what you need to say is what a fool I am to keep saying what a fool I was. And change it. God's not here to, to run you in the ground or beat you up. God's here to lift you up and to raise you up. We were talking the difference. People are always wondering, I don't know if this is the devil doing this or if, if this is God doing this. Let me tell you something. God will never do anything just to beat you down. The devil will, but God may punish you to lift you up. But when things are beating you down, you can rest assured it's not the Lord Jesus Christ doing that. He's here to lift you up. There's a land out there to be conquered. There's people out there that need to know Jesus. There's people in Philippines, there's people in Haiti, there's people in Brazil, there's people right here in Longview and Hallsville. Man, I've dealt with them in the last three or four weeks. I'm just telling you, just looking out at people, they're hurting on every hand, and they have no idea about Jesus Christ. Some of them never even heard Jesus. 
He gave Samson another chance, didn't he? You know, he, he, he got clipped over in the devil's barbershop, lost his strength, but he said, God, if you just do it one more time, I'll do it for you. He killed more people that day than he did all of his life put together. He gave him another chance. He gave Jacob another chance. You remember Jacob went to Bethel. And he met the Lord, saw a ladder descending out of heaven, made vows with God, and then got away from those vows. And the Bible says Jacob went back to Bethel. God gave him a second chance. God said, it, it, how about John Mark? Remember what, what uh, Paul said? He said, he's worthless. He's a failure. And I don't want him with me on my journeys. But God gave him another chance, and he wrote the Gospel of Mark. He gave Peter a second chance. Peter cursed and swore, denied the Lord. Yet he preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost. I love it as Jesus comes out of the tomb. Uh, the, the, the angel uh, there, as he tells the women, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I want to meet them. Hmm. And I want to tell you right now, if you'll come to him, he'll give you another chance to. You listen to me. He'll give you another chance. Lamentations 3 says this, 22. I love it. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his passion, compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. His compassions are new every morning. I, I, I'm glad his compassions fail not. So it's waywardness that he pardons. But also, quickly here, I want you to see that he punishes wickedness. Uh, Ai, verses 24 and 25, we don't have time to read it, but they're getting beat, and, and man, they're getting beat bad. Uh, it's God's nature to pardon sin but it's also God's nature to punish sin. And there's no contradiction here. Sometimes a man of God will come in and preach wrath and, and judgment and damnation and hell and little children sit in church and just quake and then some other preacher will come in and sweet and sugar and honey and syrup and spray lavender all over the congregation and we're all just happy ever after and the goodness of God. And uh, we, we, There's not a contradiction there. It's God. He's good. He punishes sin, but he pardons sin. That, that's why I, I, if I had a title for this, it'd be the Valley of Decision. You, you get to make the choice. You get to make the choice. Now, I know what people, some people talk about how bad it was, what Joshua did to Ai. It was too severe and all that. But listen to what history tells us about the Amalekites. They, they delighted in oppressing weaker people, quoting this. Their wars were wars of ambush against the weak, the aged, the helpless. They would wait until a neighbor's crops were ready for harvest, and then they'd invade his land, driving the herds, and they were especially cruel. They tortured captives by hacking off their limbs, knocking out their teeth, gouging out their eyes. They drove women and children ahead of them as slaves. They burned cities. And I want to tell you, the book of Deuteronomy tells us that they were demon worshipers. They worshiped demons. So God said, you kill them. The waywardness, God pardons. The wickedness, God punishes. But the will, God permits. 
God allows a man to choose. Now, everybody's not going to agree with this. There are a lot of people that think today that God's already chosen who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. I can't find that. I can't make that meet anywhere in my Bible. I know there are some that are chosen and elected, have no problem believing that. But I believe every man has a choice of whether he wants to come to Jesus or turn away from Jesus. I do not believe God let anybody be born into this world and said, you're going to go to hell. You don't have a choice. Now, God's going to give his people an object lesson here. The Bible says in verse 30 of chapter 8, Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. I'm running out of time, so let me just paraphrase this for you, okay? Mount Ebal is over here on one side, and it's called the Mountain of Misery. Nothing grows on it. And then in between is a valley, about, I don't know, 500 yards or so. And then over here on this side is Mount Gerizim, okay? Now, here's the object lesson. He says, you take six tribes and go up on Mount Ebal. And you take six tribes and you go up on Mount Gerizim. And then what you do is the six tribes on Mount Ebal is going to talk about all of the punishment that God is going to give. Because it's barren, it's no good. But you go over here to Mount Gerizim, and they're going to talk about all the promises of God because it was a fertile, everything was great, it would all grow there. It's an object lesson. The object lesson is this. If you choose God, he'll bless you. If you don't choose God, you're not going to be blessed. I keep my soul, I've thought about it 50 times this week. I, I can't remember which little girl said it. McKenna said it. It's not complicated. We want to make everything complicated. This is not complicated. You have a choice. Could I tell you tonight, you're sitting where you are tonight because of the choices you've made in life. You're where you are because of the choices you've made. It's not that complicated. So God gives them uh, uh, a, a, uh, 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 a lesson here. Now, let me just give you uh, four things, and i got to quit. We're out of time. Uh, let me get over here and see if I'm skipping Ten pages here. Uh, Let me tell you why you ought to choose mercy. Now, some of you say, well, it's it's not rocket science. Sure, we're going to choose mercy. Oh, are we? So that's why every Sunday morning we beg and we plead people to come to Jesus, and they just sit there. You say, well, it don't take a rocket scientist. We want mercy, and yet people don't come. So why should you come? Well, the first reason you ought to decide for the Lord is that right now, I'm just going to tell you, shoot straight with you, this is not for the by and by. I'm talking about the now and now. You can have joy right now. You choose Jesus and you can have joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Baptists have got that backwards for 100 years. You know what we do in the Baptist church? We say, I'll tell you what, we need to, if that old boy gets, grows a little bit in the Lord, he'll get strong in the Lord. Let's give him a job to do. No, he's not strong enough to do a job. Somebody's going to make a smart aleck crack to him, and he's going to walk out and be against God. You don't get strong by working for God. You get the joy of the Lord in your heart, and then you go to work for God. And if you've got the joy of the Lord in here, people can say whatever they want to. It don't make you any difference. Why doesn't it? Because you're not working for them. You're working for the Lord. 
You're doing everything for the Lord. Man, I've, had, I've seen in this church right here. I've seen it. Good grief, make you want to spit. It killed the grass for three years. I remember, I, remember the first, I remember the first night we were here in this church, 14 years ago almost. I was standing back in the kitchen. Miss Sheila had cooked, and they were passing out. It was the old gym back here before we turned it into a fellowship hall and all. And somebody came through and said, there's too much cheese on the macaroni. And I wanted to say, who ties your shoes every morning? Because I didn't think you could get too much cheese on the macaroni. I didn't think that was possible. Now, if you're not full of the joy of the Lord, you're probably going to say something you're not going to want to say. But I'm just telling you, the first reason you ought to decide, you ever get a present that said, don't open it until Christmas Day? Doesn't that just drive you crazy? Why you got a present if you can't open it? I get them all the time as a pastor. Don't open until Christmas Day. I go on and open them anyway. <laughs> Man, I want joy right now. I mean, if I'm going to buy it, I want to carry it out with me. That's why I don't even like these, these places anymore. You know, used to be, you could go down to Sears and Roebuck, buy your refrigerator, and haul the thing home with you. Oh, no, it's in a warehouse in Dallas. We can get it here tomorrow. I don't want one in a warehouse. I want it in my house. And I'm telling you, when you come to Jesus, joy comes in unspeakable and full of glory right then. I tell you, a lot of people have a lot of things. Listen to what William Jennings Bryan said many, many years ago. Those who live for money spend the first half of their lives getting all they can from everybody else. And they spend the last half of their lives trying to keep everybody else from getting what they've gotten away from them. Isn't that the truth? I mean, you know. Mm. Well. I was trying to think of what year it was at ETBU. <clears throat> I'm going to bust some of your bubbles now because some of you think Billy Graham was God himself. He wasn't God. He was a tremendous man of God and a great preacher. But Billy Graham had different men that answered letters for him. Don't think that if you've gotten a handwritten letter from Billy Graham that it came from Billy Graham. He had different men that wrote those letters back. And this guy at ETBU was doing chapel there one morning, and he said uh, he got a letter uh, that it talked about it was from a young man that was going to be a preacher and had lived a pure, clean life and everything was great, godly. He was engaged to a sweet, lovely, devoted, precious young lady. And they'd been going together for many years. Now they've decided to get married. And their marriage was drawn close and this man was so careful. He didn't want to do anything wrong. And he, he wrote, he said, Dr. Graham, you might wonder what kind of problem could people have like us? <laughs> but he said, I got a real problem. There's a question I need an answer to. Should I kiss my wife before we're married? And I remember that guy saying, I looked all over the Bible. He said, I couldn't, I couldn't find a scripture nowhere. So he said, I went to the hymn book and I quoted him a hymn. Why do you wait, dear brother? <laughs> and sent it back to him. Amen. <laughs> 
I'd ask you that tonight. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if he's not Lord, why do you wait? Why do you wait? The joy of the Lord comes. You can know immediate joy. Let me tell you, number two is there, there can be impending death. See, the problem is you don't know when you're going to die. You have no idea. We don't know that. There's a revival in Hemp Hill with, with uh, Brother Herman. A lady came down. She was a school teacher in her mid-50s. And she came down the aisle and had been saved but just wanted to get her heart right. She hadn't been living for the Lord, repented, got her heart right. We were standing on the front porch in that circle driveway there, watched her drive off and go straight into the ditch. And I thought, well, good grief. She'd been coming here. She knows had a heart attack with Dad and drove right into the ditch, leaving church. Becky and I went to see a man and a woman. Well, the woman was the first one we saw. And uh, we knocked on the door, her and I and this gynecologist that we led to the Lord. And we were talking about Jesus. And this lady just looked like a, a ghost. And we got on in the house. And she said, let me hang up my phone. I was talking to my mother from Vermont on the phone. And she said, uh, uh, let me hang up my phone. And she came back in there where we were sitting. And she said, y'all not going to believe this. But I was just asking my mother, Mama, I need to know. I need somebody to tell me how to really be saved. And her mother said, honey, I'm praying that God's going to send somebody to your house. And she said the doorbell rung right at that time. She got saved that night. Her husband came in. He wasn't ready to get saved. He wasn't ready the next month or the next month. Big guy. He, he told me, when I get saved, I'm not going down public. I'm just going to do it. I said, then you're probably not going to ever get saved. The one last night, I asked three of my men to go see him in Port Arthur. And uh, they said, Preacher, we've been over there and been over there. I said, just, just one more time. Just humor me. Go one more time. I won't ask you to go again. He went that night, and he got saved. But he said, now, you, I've already told the preacher, I ain't walking down the aisle. I ain't going to do it. But I know I'm saved. I said, fine, fine. That Sunday morning, he knocked three people down trying to get down the aisle. <laughs> I'm not lying. Am I lying? My wife's here now. She'll verify. Preachers don't like to tell stories because we lie all the time. But I'm telling you the truth. One month later, I'd never even baptized him. We set him up, but he still hadn't been baptized. One month later, he was on vacation in Conroe, had a heart attack in the hotel room and died. You, you may think I'm going to see you Sunday, but you don't know you're going to see me Sunday. We don't have any idea. One other reason you ought to come to Jesus tonight and get your heart right is because impending death might be there. <laughs> James says it like this. What is your life? It's like a vapor. Here, appeareth for a little time and then it's gone. Mm. Samuel, 1 Samuel, David says this, there is but a step between me and death. One step. You ought to get saved or get your heart right with God because of immediate joy. You ought to get your heart right with God because of impending death. And then you ought to get your heart right with God because there is an imminent return. Just because Jesus hadn't come yet don't mean he's not coming. He's coming. It's on his time. It's on his due. Uh, the second coming of Jesus, I, it's going to come suddenly. It's going to be coming quickly. It may come before I finish this sermon. One of these days that trumpet's going to sound and Jesus is going to come. 
Bible says, Therefore be ye ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh, therefore be ready. Be ready. I'm telling you, he's coming back. In Matthew, he says it's going to be like the days of Noah. Luke, he says it's going to be like the days of Noah. And then he's, that's verse 37, 38, and then verse 39, and it's going to be like the days of Lot. And, and you, you want to know what the days of Noah and Lot were like? They were marrying and giving in marriage. Homosexuality was abounding. Sodom everywhere, sodomy everywhere, everything you could think of. It was all around. We're seeing all of that right now. We're seeing it all. Now, I'm not telling you it's as bad as it was. I'm not telling you that. Because I'm telling you, they had nobody hooked Christians up here in America yet and pulled them apart with two horses like they were doing for sports back there. I'm not telling you that. But I'm telling you this, you'd have, to be a, you'd have to be not all there to know that in the last 20 years, this world has gone down, down, down. Brother Clark doesn't help anything. He told me today, you know I think the world of you. But you know what I think about the world. <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> what a hoot. I tell you, what a hoot. <laughs> He's coming again, immediate joy, imminent return, impending death. And let me tell you the last reason you ought to get your heart right tonight is because hardness of heart. Every time you say no, your heart gets a little harder. I've watched people come in here and have their knuckles here at this bench and just want to just pull it out. But in about three or four weeks, they can pick up a hymnal and they can smile, and they can act like nothing's wrong because their heart has grown hardened. What a sad shape to be in. I was talking about that today uh, and, uh, or this week. And uh, you know, we have this idea that men's not supposed to cry. And, and you know, I, I was taught that too. You know, button it up, get on. You know, but there was a time in my life when I, I honestly came to the point where I didn't cry. Even as a pastor, I didn't cry. And then one night I thought, dear God, would you make it where I cry? I mean, everything can't be fun. There are people who are lost that are going to go to a separated place. That's worth crying over. I, I, I tried to think. I don't know how long it's been since I was really in a service where I saw people at the altar openly weeping for lost people. Now, I've seen people, and, and, and this is all great. I'm not, I'm not denouncing it. We're weeping that our kids be blessed, and we're weeping that we get a better job, and we're weeping that all that. But I'm talking about, when, do, do you understand that when somebody dies now, there's not another option? They don't pass gold. They don't collect $200. They don't get another choice. When they die, it's over. It's over. There's no other place. No other place. Not a hell number two. I've had women tell me that. I don't want you to go see my husband because I'm afraid you're going to drive him away. I said, where? 
There's no hell too. He's already going to hell. Where are you going to drive him to? Huh? You say, well, I don't want to upset him. Boy, I tell you, come judgment day, there's going to be some people that would to God somebody loved them enough to upset them and say, look, you can love me or not. I do it because I love you, but I'm not letting up. Jesus can save you, and I'm not giving up praying for you. Father, we're grateful tonight for the joy you give us to come and worship the songs. Thank you for this sweet family that we've heard tonight and the testimony they've given. I pray your blessings upon them. That Lord, uh, there in the Philippines, you would provide the resources they need as you already are and meet every need that they have. I pray to, tonight for each one of us. God, in this room, if there's anyone in this room, Lord, don't let them walk out of here. God, may they just see one of us and say, look, I've got to get this straight. I've got to get my life back to the Lord. And I want to do it tonight. Lord, we pray for the services this Lord's Day that God, people would come hungry for the Word of God. People would come hungry to fellowship and, and want to serve you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We love you. We praise you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You need to see me or one of our staff. You catch us. We'll see you again soon. Amen. Uh, remember to pray. Uh, well, it got added on the prayer list, but Mona Reeves, uh, they found out today that she she's thought she's had back problems, but she's got a, a mass on her kidney. And so they're doing a CAT scan Friday morning at 845. Brother Raymond is not doing well. Brother Clark, you want to share the latest thing on that? Brother Raymond? Okay. Well, I think they were the deal. They were going to send him to Summer Meadows. They run a test again, and he's still got more problems there, bleeding on the brain. And I think they're going to just take him home. Uh, so pray for Brother Raymond. He's, he's always, yep, mm -hmm, yep, amen. All right. Thank you all. God bless you.